At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Uh, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Uh, you can get a free book, too, uh, when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. I would highly recommend doing that, and we'll chat some books later. Uh, but with me today is Dan Lyons. Well, this is a really fancy production now. We've got music and everything. Yeah. Sponsors. Really moving up in the world. <laughs> we got music. We got sponsors. We actually might have another sponsor next week. We have dual sponsorship now. So that We're just raking in the dough. We are we are killing it. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, the fact that we didn't have a game last week, I think, at least from my standpoint, and and you can tell me if you feel the same, kind of put me in a better mood about this team. I agree. I thought it was, and I said it right after the game, I, I was very glad we had a bye, and I'm still very glad we had a bye. It was just nice to sit through the Saturday and not have to worry, because when, when you've lost a game, um, and it's like a bad loss, or not loss, we didn't even lose. <laughs> when, you, when you have a bad performance in a game, uh, the next Saturday seems to sneak up real quick, and then you like get overloaded with worry. And while we watched our next opponent play really well, I still like... I think we had extra time to really digest the game and realize, you know, all the things that went into the Villanova game. And then we watched Villanova beat a top 10 FCS team by 50 points, which didn't make me feel any worse. Like now it, it seems like they're really good. So a lot of things just kind of went together. And now I, I'm in a, a good place heading into the Saturday, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, the Villanova score was great. For me, the big moment was um, – was watching Nebraska need a miracle run that was aided by god-awful tackling um, to, to beat McNeese State. Um, I mean, it, not, not to take anything away from Amir Abdullah. It was a great run, but, but god-awful arm tackles on that play. And I guess to me, seeing a team like Nebraska, um, you know, get really taken down to the wire and if it wasn't for that, uh, that penalty that, that took back the uh, touchdown on the other end, we could have seen a much different result. Seeing something like that um, was was definitely definitely made me feel better about Syracuse's results. What pissed me off, and I know we talked about it on Twitter and on the blog, was that 
the narrative for Nebraska was, you know, great run wins game versus for us where it was Syracuse barely beats Villanova. Oh, my God, they suck. Yeah, and, and it makes sense more. I mean, I get that they had a tremendous play to win. And, I mean, our, our play was cool. Like we had the, the Riley Dixon throw. But, like, when – like, Amir Abdullah's run was probably not that much less improbable than a kicker missing a point-blank straight-on 25-yard field goal. So, it, it probably isn't that fair because um, they were just about as close to losing or, or at least uh, at least as close to going to overtime as, as we were. Um so who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean Nebraska is a lot more expected of them, so you'd feel like they'd get more heat, and maybe locally they are. Although everyone out there seems really friendly, so maybe not. But uh, it, that's a fair point because we didn't catch any. Like no one said, well at least they pulled it out. Like that was never the lead in our story. It was always wow they played really poorly and should have lost. Yeah, it is weird how that works. I know I saw when people were talking about. It seems that people are, are playing both sides of the narrative, and it's kind of odd. I know I noticed on ESPN today they, they mentioned Upset Watch, and they had a lot of teams on there, ourselves included, but for the ACC. But I, I don't fault them for that because, to be honest, it's, I think we are on Upset Watch, and I think a lot of other teams are too. But when you look at the conversation and, and what they said was, if Central Michigan won, but a win against the Power 5 team is a win against the Power 5 team. Okay, but the problem there is that not all the Power 5 teams are created equal. Obviously, a win over Syracuse is not going to be the same as a win over Alabama. Um, that's not to discredit us, to give credit to Alabama. So, to me, I think people are trying to play up, you know, a very kind of odd, unbalanced narrative that, that they'll lean on when they want to, and then other times they'll play, they'll play up a... Well, you know, like, I mean, in the case of Nebraska, like, a win's a win, but a win over, is, is a win over an FCS team really, uh, a close win over an FCS team really a win? Um, and I, like I said, I guess there's just a lot of different, there's a lot of different narratives that are hanging around um, college football, and I'm not sure all of them uh, necessarily match up with one another. I agree, and um, I when I was watching, I watched pretty much all of that game, or at least I had it on on ATV while I was watching something more interesting. Although it was hard to find something more interesting that morning, I guess Iowa State Kansas State was kind of fun, but um, I was watching like the whole nervousness of the Syracuse fan base bubble up on Twitter, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, Central Michigan is really good." And I tried to remind people that Purdue is like Greg Robinson level bad, like they're really, really, really bad. Uh, so take it. I mean. It wasn't much different than Akron going to Syracuse and winning a game against uh, in 2008. Um, that Akron team wasn't very good, and they did that about as bad as Central Michigan beat Purdue. So, you know, CMU might be a good MAC team, um, or they might just be an average MAC team who beat an awful, awful Power Five team. So, we'll find out this weekend. Um, I'm leaning to- more towards they're actually pretty decent, but this still should not be a team that Syracuse should lose to either way. So. It, this should be an interesting game. It's more interesting than it was a couple weeks ago, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, like, and to be honest, like, I don't want to take anything away from Central Michigan um, in any part of the preview. Because you know what? Like, this is a program that has historically done very well. Um, they won a 1974 D2 national championship, uh, something they'll actually be celebrating uh, when we visit them on Saturday. Um, the Chippewas are, are good. I mean, the, uh, the Dan LeFevre teams... 
um, were very, very good. I think recent vintages of Central Michigan may not have been, you know, as great. But that said, like, this team looked very good against Purdue. No matter who was on the other side of the ball, I mean, without Titus Davis, who is arguably their best um, their best receiver, they were still able to create plays on offense and, and defensively really create it for themselves. I mean, Purdue derped itself into a ton of, of mistakes, but um, it, it was definitely – it was definitely a, a well-fought and well, uh, well-played victory from Central Michigan. And again, no matter who was on the other side of that ball, it's still it's still a nice win uh, for them to rack up and, and get themselves close to bowl eligibility. Yeah, I, I wrote this for the roundtable, which I'm guessing is going up. If you're listening, well, you're going to be listening to this on on Wednesday, so today. Um, Central Michigan, like the one thing I really took away was that they they played just a really clean game. Um, I haven't looked at the penalties. Maybe they had a couple of those. But they didn't make, like, really awful mistakes, and they were just really good at taking advantage of Purdue when Purdue made those. So that doesn't really sound like a team that we are going to love playing against because Syracuse is all about making killing mistakes and then trying to play from behind. So hopefully our team kind of gets it together this week because that's the one thing where maybe you can say the Chippewas have an advantage. At least they did based on that one game I watched. They seem like a a well-coached team that – just isn't going to beat themselves um, when they're even if they're playing a, a more talented team. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that was that is not correct analysis. Hopefully, I I just happened to see one really good game from them. Uh, but that's not a concern if Syracuse pop comes out and does all the, the ridiculous things, gives up punt return touchdowns like they did it in Villanova, does those types of things. Um, if Syracuse plays a pretty straight up game, they should win it. So I'm hoping that the team. It just comes out really focused, and I don't know why they wouldn't. This, this really, there's no reason for them to look past Central Michigan now. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate gauge. Um, the one thing I will point out, and something I pointed out in the comments, I pointed out on Twitter um, on Saturday morning. I, uh, I saw my typical marathon Saturday, waking up at 6 a.m. Pacific, and, and just kind of running straight through the day. And admittedly, no regrets anytime, especially when I, I mostly miss. Um, the first Saturday because I was on vacation. Um, it was nice to nice to be able to, to be back at home and uh, and really kind of spending my entire day with wall-to-wall football. Um, the one thing I did notice, and I think a lot of other people noticed too, was uh, the offensive line. Offensive line was very good uh, in terms of the running game for Central Michigan, but um, Purdue, who really isn't a team that, that rushes the passer very well, really wasn't blitzing much. Um, you saw whenever Purdue was able to blitz, that team was able to get guys very, very quickly onto the quarterback um, and, you know what, rush their, their quarterback. Uh, he showed he showed a little uncertainty under pressure. Um, there were a couple times we saw him very quickly flushed out of the pocket and very quick to throw the ball away. Uh, Purdue was able to get to get hits on him when they did blitz. And, again, this is a team that, that doesn't blitz um, nearly as much as, as what Syracuse does. And if there's one takeaway from that game uh, going in Syracuse's favor, I think it has to be that that offensive line and, and their quarterback just don't seem entirely ready for a blitz-happy uh, game plan from an opposing defense. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. Um, I and mean, that's probably one of the the things that you see when, you know, for all of Purdue's faults, they probably do have 
based on what they're able to recruit more talent than Central Michigan. I mean, they are a Big Ten squad, so that's probably one of those things where you see it come through where when they actually put their mind to getting after the quarterback, Central Michigan is going to have trouble picking them up. And I'm going to throw throw it at the wall and say that Syracuse is better linebackers uh, and blitz personnel than, than Purdue does. So hopefully we see a plenty of, uh, of Cam Lynch and Dyson Davis in the backfield this weekend. Now for you, Dan, do you think that the, the, the Bliss is going to have to, um, at least in the short term for Syracuse, uh, run through the linebackers, or are we going to see anything from our uh, our defensive line? I know while we all were quick to kind of brush Bromley's absence under the rug, it just doesn't seem like that D-line is ready to go yet, and we might have to rely a lot more on the linebackers than we uh, might have initially thought. Yeah, I thought Kroon played pretty well. He just he was banged up a lot. He seemed to come out a couple times. But he's not a guy who's going to get after the passer like Bromley can. And, and a guy like Bromley generating as much rush as he can is, is pretty rare at the defensive tackle position, so it's not that crazy. So, yeah, I think it'll take a, a couple of weeks for the defensive line to really find itself. I think we have some capable pass rushers in Thompson, uh, Welsh, and Dad for the quarterback. And I thought they actually all played decent games, just trouble with contain on, on Robertson, which uh, which is an issue. Um, but luckily, Cooper Rush uh, is not a runner. He's not a rusher at all. Um, so his last name really doesn't make much sense. Uh, he's run the ball three – or he's run the ball a couple times, but he has, like, negative three rushing yards for the year. So, of course, against us, he might end up being some, you know, flyer and go all over the place. But it, based on stats, it doesn't appear like he's a guy who's a real – big uh, threat to leave the pocket, and I didn't see any of that in Purdue either. So that should be good for Syracuse because, for whatever reason, we have not learned that some quarterbacks can run, to, which is even stranger considering that's the type of kind of quarterback we recruit and start. So that's at least a good sign, I think. Yeah, I don't think that uh, that whole point about our inability to stop mobile quarterbacks lately uh, will ever stop baffling me. Uh, it you know, with Terrell Hunt back there, it would it would stand a reason that 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 are their D one that are D one major conference, <laughs> like at least front seven would be fully able to you know game plan for a mobile quarterback, um, and it just doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, we even saw a guy who wasn't that mobile, Chase Reddick, just completely tear us apart on the ground last year. Um, in the early parts of last year's game against BC. Um, I guess getting away from next week's game for at least a little bit um, and, and kind of meandering around the ACC. Um, I was talking to Brian at BC Interruption about this, and, and Friday night's game against Pitt uh, with the Eagles, it did seem very odd to me and, and scary to him that, that, uh, that Tyler Murphy's game seemed incredibly, incredibly similar to Terrell Hunt and and their play calling around the, that skill set also seems incredibly similar to Syracuse. I don't know if you noticed the same. Um, he's a different runner than Hunt. He's smaller. He's probably faster. But the it, the play calling thing did strike me a bit. The, the guy who he reminded me more of, and this might actually be unfair to this person because Murphy didn't really throw, show the ability to, to really stretch the ball down the field, uh, kind of reminded me of B.J. Daniels, uh, if anything. Which means that he's probably going to tear us up later. Does that we were the only team BJ Daniels played well against? Um, but he, he just seemed like like when he got going to the outside, he was good. But when they kept him contained in the pocket, he just didn't. He did not impress me. And I didn't watch their first game in UMass 
although that's UMass, so I don't know if, if I should take anything away from that anyway. But he didn't really uh, he didn't really impress me much with his throwing acumen. He did, but he was an impressive athlete. Like he, he he did damage in Pitt's defense, but Pitt's D also didn't let him get to the outside nearly enough for that to swing the game. Yeah, I'll touch base on UMass quick, and then I'll transition to Pitt. Um, I actually think UMass has, has looked better this year. It must be Colorado. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, granted, Colorado sucks, but at, at the same time, like UMass has actually looked better. I think you even saw flashes of it at the end of last year. Um, I still don't think that they're. I mean, you know, if if you're UMass, you're you're not. Your presence in the Sun Belt is only going to be. It's only going to get could get worse over time unless you establish yourself while in the MAC. Um, I guess to me, um, I, I like their prospects as a program, but only only to a certain extent. Like I never. The problem with bringing that program up when they did was that their ceiling is six and six, and like maybe getting into. Um, Getting like a pity invite to the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, or maybe one of the other bowls that the Mac gets into. Um, but now, like with the Sun Belt, it's going to be very hard to legitimize an invite for them, even at six and six. Um, set the pile on too much, and you know, my sister goes there, um, but it just doesn't seem like a great idea for them at this point. And I know it's it's too embarrassing to, to drop down now. They're just going to have to play it out. As far as Pitt goes, I, I Pitt's scary. Uh, Pitt's very scary, even with just Connor and Boyd as the only guys who can really make plays. Um, that team is, is very frightening. That defense is, is better than we thought it was going to be, um, even even with a lot of absences. Um, and and I I shudder to think what happens if it Chad Boykich decides to really put it all together, and he very well could by the end of the season. Yeah, I think I think in total, I think the coastal's a little better than we thought. It's still kind of a, a mess, but it's a, a slightly better mess than what we had believed going into the season. Obviously, Pitt looked really good. Um, I don't know how long they'll hang on. I mean, they seem to already be getting kind of the injury bud going around. They lost, I believe, their starting center uh, the other night. Um, but James Conner looks like he's just a, a monster. Um, he has something like 600 yards in his last three games, including the bowl last year. He looks like the the guy that is just going to run rough shot through our defense because we have not done well against power rushers uh, in the last under the Marone Schaefer defensive era. Um, I think mostly because we recruit lighter linebackers, which makes the whole we can't contain mobile quarterbacks thing more confusing. But uh, I digress. Um, Connor is just a, a really impressive power runner and uh, I, my only hope is that he kind of wears down by the end of the year when we play them because I can't imagine our defensive front really holding holding him under five yards of Terry when he plays against us and then Boyd's just a great receiver um, I don't really trust Voicek in a big spot or if he's facing a lot of pressure but having a guy like Connor who will run the ball 30-35 times really takes some of that pressure off So I guess do you think that when you mentioned uh, him wearing down, Connor's already carried the ball 50 times, including 36 against BC. Do you think that he could potentially suffer from the same thing Andre Williams did last year? 
I know Williams, for the most part, are really kind of burnt out by the time uh, BC got to Syracuse. Uh, considering we're facing the Panthers, uh, the second last week of the season, could Connor uh, fall back into the same? I mean, they actually have more options at running back, so I don't think it should happen. Um, Isaac Bennett's back there, and they have a couple other guys who are all highly rated. Um, but do you think it happens? And and I guess if it doesn't, do you see Connor uh, possibly edging his way into into a Heisman conversation? Say, say if Pitt can keep themselves above water at about two losses. I don't see him getting into the Heisman. I just think that there's too much hype for if there's a running back running back that's going to get major talk. It's going to be Gurley or Abdullah. Um, I don't think Piddle did enough. Uh, I, I know it's stupid to say because Beast is Andre Williams that Heisman uh, hype last year, but I don't see him running for 200 yards a game. And um, people, I don't think, will give as much respect to Pitt as they probably should get. Um, hopefully, this weekend they should really give Connor a break because they play FIU. Um, but then the rest of their schedule, I mean, it's it's fairly daunting from a running back standpoint in the middle. Um, Iowa didn't look good this weekend, but they usually have big guys up front. Um, Akron looked better than they have in years at Penn State. Uh, Virginia looked really good, uh, strangely. Uh, Virginia Tech, obviously, we know all about them now. And then they have Georgia Tech, Duke, UNC, Syracuse, Miami. So I don't know. There's, I don't know if Georgia Tech or Duke or UNC is going to be a, a huge um, challenge on the defensive front, but that's a lot of games where guys will come and hit you. So you have to hope that if you're a Pitt fan, you can get through this FIU game. Um, you'll probably have to use them a lot against Iowa, but then the Akron game as well, uh, and really kind of give them, save some blows those two weeks, and then hope Virginia's kind of falling back to the pack. Because otherwise, I mean, you're going to need them against Virginia Tech. You're going to need them against some of those other ACC teams. Um, but he might just not get injured, and he might just not wear down. I mean, that's always an option, too. So, I don't know. I, I wouldn't quite put him in the Heisman uh, candidacy yet, but, I mean, if he still if he keeps on doing what he's done through the first two weeks, then I guess he would be in those talks. I just find I just think that there would be some anti-ACC coastal bias there. That's fair. I guess uh, I'll take an awkward segue into, Sean, <laughs> you're on the air. <laughs> awkward segues. That's my – that's how I always <laughs> like them. Don't mind me, just hanging out. It's all good. We actually started late today, so you were you were right in the thick of things. All right. Yeah, we were uh, we were just talking about James Conner uh, potentially contending for the Heisman and and the the horrors that he's going to inflict on Syracuse's defensive line come November. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this I feel like uh, we got to start winning some football games because every game that we that looked fairly winnable is just like sliding further and further towards the, yeah, I don't think so side. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that the ACC has five ranked teams right now, um, and you look at Duke just kind of knocking on the door out there, I mean, this is a conference that that the ACC has wanted to be for years, and it's odd that Miami's still not a part of that group of ranked teams, um, even with that many, but yeah, the, the ACC has suddenly morphed itself into, like, a legitimate football conference. I mean, granted, there's there's flaws to be found in, in most of the teams, including Florida State. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yes, this has suddenly turned into a very daunting schedule. The Atlantic Division has gotten even more difficult than I think we even thought it could be. Um, and even the Coastal is, is suddenly looking like, you know, it, it. we joked kind of in the preseason that it was a, 
it was a four or five team race, but none of those teams get out of their own way. Now it suddenly looks like there's going to be a four or five team dog fight, and all of those teams in most other divisions in football would be nine and three, ten and two. It's strange because, yeah. like you said, Miami's probably the least exciting team in that division. <laughs> like everyone else has either really raised their game. I mean, UNC also a little questionable after a close call this weekend, but. Everyone else seems to either be raising their games or are at least like where we thought they'd be, like Georgia Tech. Virginia looks like they might actually win some football games in the, division, in the conference this year. Uh, and then Virginia Tech, like I'm looking at their schedule now, they could legitimately make a run, to, and, and we could actually have an interesting ACC championship because they avoid everyone in the, in the uh, Atlantic. They play BC and Wake. So it, it, the Coastal has gotten far more interesting than we expected. It's not even close, and and the the conference as a whole, it doesn't have another. I mean, Virginia Tech might be this, if especially if Brewer keeps on improving. They they we don't have that second top team. We have a lot of teams like bubbling under and kind of ready to at least make some noise on the national level. And we're not the Big Ten, so that's good. And you had to figure this was coming sooner or later. I mean, we've been. It, you know, college football is so cyclical, and Florida State and Clemson have just been above everyone else for so long that it was only a matter of time before everybody else started catching up. And, and so it's great to see. I mean, it's great for the ACC, for, you know, stepping aside as a Syracuse fan, it's great for the conference that as many teams as possible get good at the same time. That, that That's never a bad thing as far as a, a conference is concerned. No, you can see it. Well, I, I mean, if you look. You can go for it, Dan. Um, no, I mean, if you look at the SEC like seven or eight years ago before they went on that run, uh, they people the SEC has always been a good conference, but it wasn't the just massive power that it has been the last decade. And that whole like SEC prize thing has really kind of raised all ships, where even the even the ones that have been historically weak, like South Carolina and Vanderbilt, have had top ten, top ten, fifteen finishes. And it, the association with the other schools that have always been good seems to have that kind of help that and getting good coaching. So hopefully for, for Syracuse, having a stronger conference as, whole, as a whole is, is a good enough selling point where Schaefer and McDonald uh, can really start making some inroads with some of these other players who might have gone to, I won't say they're going to out-recruit SEC teams, but the Big Ten sure looks right for it. So maybe we can go into more of those Chicago households and say, hey, we're playing incredible football on the East Coast. Come out here. Yeah, I mean, that brings up a good point going to um, an article I read today and when people listen to this podcast uh, yesterday. Um, over on Bucky Smith Carter, uh, SB Nation's excellent Wisconsin blog, um, where they were writing about, you know, they were glad the Big Ten was bad. They, they didn't feel like they should be obligated to root for their conference. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you should hate those teams, and just because those teams are suddenly in a higher stage, um, you know, why should you be rooting for them? And, and like, I kind of weighed in the comments down there. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, recent realignment. I think the SEC is kind of collective we won versus one team won um, celebrations. I, I think a lot of that has kind of given birth to, you know, us building up these emotional walls around not just our team, but, but the teams in which, the teams which our team associates with. I think we saw it when we, a lot when we were in the Big East. Um, I mean, we were willing to root for just about anybody in the Big East uh, when they when they made a BCS game and, and and showed that you know it wasn't just a pity invite and that they actually belonged there and belong and should have had that first. And I think even in basketball, 
you know, outside of probably Georgetown and UConn, we were willing to to hope an ACC team, I mean, a Big East team back then, would actually, you know, go a couple of rounds. And, and I think, you know, they brought up a good point on the, on the site. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, a down Big Ten means there's more chances for, for more teams to win. There, there's no allegiance to these other schools. And, like, you know, you can't imagine, at the end of the day, you can't imagine a Michigan fan rooting for Ohio State. You can't imagine um, an Alabama fan rooting for Auburn. You can't imagine a Texas fan rooting for Oklahoma. I mean, these things don't happen. So I, I think that I'm happy to root for the ACC. I think I, I've done a lot of that on the blog since we got the invite um, and up until, you know, our, our entry into the conference. But I think now it, it's going to be a test if this conference continues to get very good um, how much longer we can hold out rooting for our, our conference mates and, and when that kind of turns to hate and realizing that the conference being very good isn't necessarily in our self-interest. Yeah, and, and I'm not... I can never get into the whole ACC... This is why the ACC is better than the Big Ten or, or the crazy people who are like, this is why the ACC is better than the SEC and they start putting out stats and showing bowl wins and all that stuff. I mean... I don't know, that that's where it gets into an absurd state and um on the Syracuse level um yeah I agree I don't I I've never never quite understood the I've never been one to root for conference foes in the postseason um like I I kind of do it abstractly I guess because I I want people to think the conference my team is in is good but I can't watch a game like I can't watch a Georgetown basketball game and root for them just cuz they're in the tournament and I can't watch um, I mean, I can't even watch like a pit basketball game and root for them to to do anything. I want them to be miserable. I want them to lose. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's a dilemma of on this like micro level. I don't like rooting for other teams in the conference, but on the macro level, I'm okay with it as long as they're beating up other teams, just not mine. I kind of feel similarly. Um... Like, I, I support the conference, but I never feel like, and it's less of an issue now because we've moved conferences and we're still trying to figure the whole rivalry thing out, um, at least to the point where we don't have a Georgetown right now um, in conference. Like, I never got, like, the my friends down in the SEC country will just curse about how much they hate Alabama all year, and then the minute Alabama's playing in a national championship, they, like, pull roll tide deer out of nowhere like it's crazy so like i i fully understand rooting for your conference and if it's like a uh if, if it's like a north carolina football game and they're playing in a huge game against someone from the sec or the big 10 yeah i'll support them i won't like you know break out the pom-poms but if if it's if it's still georgetown or yukon playing in the tournament and if we weren't still in the big east like no i'm not rooting for you i don't like you at all there's there's <laughs> nothing nothing uh you could do for the big east makes me want to root for you so it's uh, that's that's the one thing I didn't get. Like I get rooting for your conference on a on a larger scale, but if it's your like rival rival, no, don't root for them. That's ridiculous. I completely agree. Um, we're about at halftime now, so it's uh, worth giving another shout out to our sponsor, um, Audible.com. Uh, Trainings and Absolute Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. And they also have 150,000 titles to choose from. You can listen to them on any device. So uh, if you happen to get yourself that newfangled uh, iPhone 6 or 
or any other sort of smartphone. You can listen to that there on iPod. If you want to have a Zune player, if you want to throw back to that thing, I guess you could do that. Uh, multiple other devices, uh, you can listen to them all there. Uh, and you can sign up at our URL uh, for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. You're going to get yourself one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Uh, one book I'd recommend does seem like a bit of a uh, chiclet read, but that said, um, the book called, when I looked up Michigan, just to, to get a tie-in to our, our next opponent, Central Michigan, um, Bootstrapper from Broke to Badass on a Northern Michigan Farm. This actually seemed like pretty interesting. <laughs> Somebody, uh, when we got divorced, ended up um, figuring out how to like, live off the land and, and really turn into a bit of a badass <laughs> up, up, in, up in Northern Michigan. So, you know what? 30-day free trial. Won't hurt you. Seems like a fun book. Nothing like some foraging misstanders. <laughs> but that leads us to drinks. Um, so yeah, Sean, what have you uh, what have you been drinking besides uh, Noon's Brew? Nothing. I am like working my <laughs> way through. I've got <laughs> I've got a, like a, two cases of this stuff. I got to get through. Uh, no, I've I've I, I almost broke down and bought something the other day, but I was like, no, gotta finish, gotta finish. So I'm uh, I'm making my way through it, and uh, but I'm taking you up on uh, what you said last time. I'm going to set aside a couple and save them for a couple months out, and then six months out, and uh, and see if see if they're a little bit different. But my uh, my big thing is I got to sort out the temperature while I'm making it, so I can um, get some carbonation. So uh, that mm-hmm. is all I will be drinking for the next seven years. <laughs> You should like make a, a doc about this. What's that? <laughs> yeah, like a mini doc about seven uh, year road. Yeah, on. <laughs> seven years in beer batch. Uh, bottle forty seven. <laughs> what about you guys? Man, what are you drinking? Uh, nothing too crazy. Uh, I went over to Dinosaur the other day which is always nice is I can get some Middle Ages. So I had the Ape Hanger. I had a little SPA, which had been a long time. Um, and then uh, a lot of Captain Lawrence, which I've been drinking all summer, as you guys know, just because it's local here. Um, this weekend, it should be kind of exciting. Uh, I'm celebrating my birthday on Friday, so I'm planning to go check out Torst in Brooklyn. Um, oh, so hopefully that works out, that and I get some evil twin. Uh, so that should be exciting. Hopefully they have uh hopefully they have um what's it called? The uh either Imperial Biscotti break or Imperial Donut break um on tap. I don't really know what their their, their current lineup looks like, but love tours. They oddly serve beer and wine glasses, but that said it doesn't take away from anything. Um so yeah, but highly recommend that. Drink as much as you want. It's actually reasonably priced, even for New York. Oh, that's that's it. I was definitely a little worried about that, but I wasn't going to let it stop me. So that's uh, just yeah, no, now. I'm going to try to sample as much as I can. Yeah, if you wanted like samplers, I'm pretty sure all the like the sampler pours are like less than four bucks. Hmm. Hopefully, that's like, 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 like something. 
Yeah, for New York, it's, like, pretty legit. Yeah, like, they don't have, like, flights per se, but they do have, like, they have divisions up to, like, 4-ounce floors, 8-ounce floors, and 12-ounce floors. That's it. Like, really, yeah, at the end of the day, like, nothing, nothing's insane. Granted, I'm kind of jaded in the places I've lived. The three most expensive cities in the country, you just kind of, it's like, yeah, $8 for a pint, that makes sense. <laughs> and then you just, uh, I'm paying $7 yeah. for a pint, I've to learn to deal with it, and I accept it as par for the course. Yeah, so hopefully it's a good beer when I do that. Well, I'm sure you'll get plenty of good beer there. Yeah, I expect to come back with plenty to report next week. Well, uh, a couple that I've had lately, um, Avery Brewing uh, over in Colorado. They're a 21st anniversary beer called 21. It was a uh, double brown ale. It's actually very good. Um, waited on this one a little while, but uh, didn't really take away from it. Pretty enjoyable uh, drink. Um, got to enjoy some Eden Keel uh, Session IPA from Ballast Point. I'm always a fan of Ballast Point, always a fan of IPAs, but uh, Eden Keel was a very nice, and I was driving that night, so it was, a, it was a nice, you know, still plenty of flavor, still felt like you were drinking a beer, but could definitely get behind the wheel of the car within the next two hours, not like some of the other beers I've had in the past. Um, I had Hoptonic IPA from Smog City. Love to shout out Smog City. It's uh, one of my favorite local beers, um, local breweries here in Los Angeles. Um, and then uh, right now I'm actually enjoying a uh, Homework Series number three uh, English IPA from Ballast Point. Uh, Ballast Point does this cool homebrew series where they, they release some bottle versions of uh, some old recipes and homebrew recipes. Uh, this was actually the first recipes they'd ever put together as a brewery. Um, and... For those who buy it, it's super cheap. It's like four fifty for a bomber, and they uh, they also include the ingredients and instructions. So if you wanted to make a clone of it or wanted to make a variation on it, um, you have all the info that right there for you. So I might I might uh, you know utilize that uh, information later on. Me and uh, my friend that I brew with occasionally, and uh, try to make a variant on that. So we'll see. We really need to get someone to send us all beers so we can review them, like, uh, live. I've honestly tried that. <laughs> I feel like we're heading that direction, eventually. Maybe someone I, I, I've, emailed a, I've emailed a couple breweries. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, we talk about your beer on a regular basis. Um, would you like to send like a Middle East or, uh, or uh, Southern Tier or something and see if they, uh, they're interested <laughs> A more local. They're not to be a good one too, although they're yeah, maybe I, they're they're too big for us. <laughs> I, I I did email Saranac just to see if they they never got back. I love that <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't a big fan when I was there, but admittedly, like I was much more. Well, now I I I prefer not to get drunk at all, and and just enjoy good beer. Um, I think back in college, I was much in the same mindset as a lot of other people. Of you drink as much as you can whenever you can get it. Um, so that that rarely kind of towed into Saranac's waters. So I think I'd, I'd definitely be of a different mindset now. Yeah, that was a pretty big staple for me, like by senior year, but. 
can't find all the different types down here, unfortunately. Although I am, I'm definitely getting up to Syracuse for the Louisville game, so I'm excited for that. When do we schedule Washington again? I don't know. We've done it I, would, I would love that. <laughs> or, or like Wazoo, we could do Wazoo and win. Yeah, they'll want to play in Seattle, so that works. Yeah, I mean, if we if, if they put Rutgers in Seattle, then they could move off to Seattle and and lose because they're not very good. Yeah, exactly. Let's do that instead of playing uh, Washington. <laughs> Although Washington yeah, is very good right now, either. Yeah. Well, I look back at that season. Washington wasn't even that good that year. That's what was really frustrating. The 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 second Jake Locker game. Yeah, the one where where Syracuse came out here and got their butts kicked, and then I think I think they ended up going like six and six, seven and five. Yeah, I just remember NASA looked really good like the first two drives, and that was it. Yeah, I I remember we, there was like this moment of hope right before the end of the first quarter, and then that was it. NASA broke like a forty yard touchdown run or something. It was weird. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but it was so much better than the game at the Dome. And, and, and that's really all I remember for it, is the oh. fact that it wasn't as bad as when, as a sophomore at SU, I sat there on a Friday night in those hideous orange uniforms, and my roommate and I were, like, two of the only non-freshmen there. We showed up, like, a couple hours early and just looked around and went, holy shit, like, there's nobody here. Like, we are, we are so losing this game. And then the game started, and you were like, oh, that's why nobody's here. Yep. Such a bad, bad, bad. I mean, obviously, the, the G-Rob era can be summarized by the Akron game in 08, but if there was a second game I would nominate, it would it would be that Washington game. I feel like we always end up bringing one G-Rob game up, and it's like our first... <laughs> we just can't. Like the, uh, the, the, the Dilty Remnant leftovers, where we're just smoking cigarettes and talking about G-Rob, so we don't ever forget that G-Rob happened. <laughs> no, because we're doomed to repeat it if if we do. <laughs> we'll hire somebody else no. that uh, Pete Carroll <laughs> once worked with. I feel like at this point there's a lot of those guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I, I do hope we go back to the West Coast, though I know when I talked to Coach Schaefer back in April, he did say, like, he has no desire no, I don't see the. I, I mean, I don't see the point. Like, I don't even understand why Rutgers came out here. I, I don't, un, I don't see what value that is because you're not going to convince anybody to go cross country. That's that's worth it. That you need to come all the way out here and play a football game. There's no way Rutgers right. is going to recruit the Washington area. Like, no, doesn't make any sense. They can't even no, recruit New Jersey. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like, the yeah, I mean, obviously owned by a couple schools, and like. If those schools struggle, like you always see Oregon and Washington kind of battling out for this like land grab up there. So now, like, yeah, it's not like Rutgers going to get anything out of it. Just like we're not going to get anything out of going down to LSU. No, that that remains a uh, that's one of those ones where it's like I get what you're doing, but uh, you couldn't have waited like five more years. <laughs> Yeah, that, that one, like, I'm excited for it, and I hope I go to both of those games. But, like, Georgia would have made more sense, because if we're not at our ass, yeah. at least do it in front of kids we recruit. Like, I don't think we've gotten – I'm going to look up while we're while we're going here. Like, the last kid we got out of Louisiana, I don't know if it's been since I followed the team. Nothing comes to mind. And keep in mind, this is now 
we you know we went there for Tulane too. Like we we've got a thing now about going to Louisiana. That was I think we just kind of had to. I don't know for whatever reason we're not good at at leveraging series with (laughs) those kind of programs where we get like two for ones. We always end up doing one for ones like the Central Michigan series. Like that one makes more sense, but still, like can't we get them to come twice because it's Central Michigan Tulane? Did we not? I thought we did get Central Michigan twice here. Did we? Uh, maybe, maybe it's way down. Maybe in which case my complaint is invalid. But, but still, like, but you're right. That's, like, that's the anomaly if it's if it is. After we got uh, but like it, I don't know, there's always okay. We got them in 2017 and 2015. Oh, okay, 17. All right, that makes sense. Still stupid. <laughs> Yeah, Louisiana. Like, I I don't think we recruit anyone there, because all those kids are going to go to. I mean, any kid worth worth anything is going to LSU, and then there's every other SEC school is going to go in there pretty easily. Yeah. So it's it's confusing. It'll be fun. It's exciting, but and I definitely want to go check out the Death Valley. But it doesn't make as much sense as if we had played like Florida or um, or Georgia or any of those other schools down there. Yeah. That's the issue to me. Like, I mean, even the SC series, like, I got it because if you look at a lot of our JUCO kids, they're all SoCal kids who went to, you know, Golden West and a couple of the other, like, junior colleges around here. So it makes sense to go to USC a little bit. Um, and there's actually, I mean, again, there's a huge alumni base in Los Angeles. Um, so it makes a lot more sense to come here than to, say, go up to Stanford. But... But yeah, at the same time, you know, even even here, I, I could understand if they said, you know what, never again. And and really, we're not a team that should that should go probably west of Mississippi. I mean, there's so many matchups like that, though. I mean, you look at um, UCLA went and visited Virginia, which like why? What like, what like, what are you getting out of that trip? Because you almost lost the game. So like. What are you getting out of a cross-country trip for your kids? Like, every single kid on your roster probably from Southern California. Just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I guess they wanted to, I don't know. When they scheduled that team, I don't think they knew they were going to be a playoff contender, and I don't know if they are anymore. Um, but, I, I don't know, that team didn't make much sense. You don't gain a lot by beating Virginia either. I mean, they're better than we thought, but you didn't know that when that team was scheduled. And, John, just to go back to something, if we are going to schedule a team in the Bay Area, you know damn well it's going to be Cal. <laughs> They're always about to get right back in this. Yeah. I they mean, might, like, they're pretty good. They're, like, weir- weirdly good this year, I guess? They beat so Northwestern, far. but Northwestern's a train wreck this year, which is really funny. Um, but then they they beat Sacramento State, which is no big deal. But they had 42 points with almost nine minutes left in the second quarter. They could have stored like 80 if they wanted. So it seems like uh, Sunny Dyke stuffed that offense back together at least. And the defense, which was about as bad as I've ever seen last season, is not quite that bad anymore. And, no, we haven't we haven't landed a Louisiana recruit at least going back to 2002. So, hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's avoid that. That said, if we go to Cal or Stanford, I'm there. Because I know enough people in the Bay Area. I can stay there for free. I, I do love, oddly, I do love 
Cal's and Stanford's campuses for very different reasons because I had this weird thing where I just hang out on college campuses when I went to visit places. So, yeah, I used to just hang out on those campuses sometimes during the weekend, go to the food court where the students were, go grab some food, just hang out at Stanford's quad for the day. I've been to Cal. That's pretty nice. Yeah, Berkeley's fun. And like, yeah, Alabama was a lot of fun every time I went down to Stanford. I mean, what, what pissed me off the most, and my wife heard about this over and over again, was I was so pissed off at like the amount of like legit um, clothing and, and merchandise that they had for their teams versus like Syracuse. I, I just feel like we're still in the minor leagues in terms of. Uh, in terms of, like, quality of merchandise, like things I would actually want to wear outside of, like, a, watching a game in person setting. Apparently we're getting non-44 jerseys, and we've had a handful, like, over the last couple of years, but it sounded like whenever the new, jer- the new jerseys come out, for uh, they'll probably be, I'm sure, a Hunt jersey, um, probably an Estridge jersey, a Hickey jersey. Maybe not Hickey, but they'll, it's, they, I saw somewhere a couple of weeks ago that they're, then I have jerseys aside from 44. Yeah, I'm not wearing those new jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to do it to release the orange one because I don't want to wear non-orange things to games. But if you're going to buy a jersey, that's what you're doing. So it's a it's a, a conflict for me. Right, in direct opposition to the basketball team where the basketball jerseys are all orange. Mm-hmm. And they have players. Right. Yeah, I uh I will be I will be at Wake Forest this year wearing my my last year's vintage forty four jersey and, and pretending that those are the uniforms we still wear. Well the way things are going you'll it'll probably be back to we'll have those uniforms again in like four years. Yeah just wearing the throwbacks and kids. Yeah. I feel like society is heading that way. We're like, vintage is four years ago. And we're actually, I feel like society is going to take on a, a college mentality about everything, where you can start reusing songs, you can start recycling trends and, and fashion four years. And everyone's like, yeah, this makes sense. This is vintage now. You're probably not far off. I mean, you can look at, uh, you know, movies, how we're already recycling movie franchises that were from, like, ten years ago. So uh, our attention span is, is definitely getting shorter. I wouldn't be too shocked. I mean, uh, I still say somebody eventually is going to, a university is going to rebrand its nickname. I think that's the next big one. I think that's, and it sounds crazy, but I totally think that's going to happen at some point. And I think Syracuse would be in the debate for it. So we're talking non-Native American division, though, right? Yeah, not counting schools that change their name because of Native American affiliations. So I like the totally, and I, I'm a big Doc Gross defender. I could absolutely see Dr. Gross trying to rebrand our nickname to something really stupid. Right. <laughs> Like, all because, the things that were rumored back in, like, the early 90s, like the Wolves and, mm-hmm. like, the other things that they brought up. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was, like, a, a whole bunch of them, and uh, none of them were particularly good. And I don't know if I want them to change it because, I mean, you can argue against Otto, but he's incredibly unique. Like, people know him immediately, even if you're only a, a 
you know, very vague college sports fan. Like, Otto's pretty recognizable, and just being the Orange is a lot better than being the 7,000th Tigers or, or uh, any, you know, any animal mascot up that's overused. I don't think he would do that. I, I feel like I feel like Otto has so much brand equity. I feel like Gross is very much is very very conscious of of the brand. And, and while he might not hesitate to change orange at some point down the road, I still don't think it goes into something that everybody else has. Um, and I think it doesn't. He also will would move to not compromise Otto. I think Otto is actually um, a big part of of the orange brand equity. But like I. I as much as it's like, I don't think we're ever going to be like the feral otters or like something. So I don't think feral <laughs> The fighting squirrels. Yeah, fighting squirrels. No, I but I still think somebody at Nike is going to basically put it out there like let's let's do an, a rebranding campaign, and maybe it's right. Maybe maybe they'll go to one of the schools that is like the Tigers or the Wildcats, and they'll say let's differentiate ourselves and come up with something new and we'll make it like the big marketing campaign of the year. And I don't know, it sounds crazy, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility given the way we've seen branding become such a such a thing for college sports. And maybe it's like a a one double A school does it or, you know, a non a, a non BCS or whatever they're called, uh big five school, but I don't know. I, I just sooner or later, I think it's going to happen. Memphis and yeah, uh, it wouldn't. Uh, SMU it's like a lesser brand. Like Memphis. Well, I think I, I didn't hear. You guys uh, both said something. Oh, I said Memphis and SMU seem like prime candidates. SMU needs to just overhaul everything at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> <laughs> they're having a bad week. And, and, and it's been a bad sports week, and they're they're definitely in that. <laughs> you're, you're, I guess the thing is, it's happened leave week three before. I don't think. No, the, the bad sports week reference, I think, is a good segue for. Uh, it's been a bad sports summer, I, I guess. Like since the seasons changed, and I guess this kind of points to another piece on the site today that Sean put up. Um, things have kind of sucked, like. Like in terms yeah. of like the conversation around sports, like we've really hit a low point. I mean, um, Sean, I know you've been covering sports from blogging standpoint even longer than I have, and and it's just I, I've never seen a summer that was just so rife with just ugh, like every single week there was just some god awful conversation. Like, and we're still there. Like, we're we're still here. And even something like Penn State regaining its uh, ability to go to a postseason. Game couldn't have couldn't go without you know the rally which whatever but then the rally turns into calling for Paterno um, to have a statue brought back and calling for Paterno's win total to come back and shows that that all this institutional and uh, and cultural you know change that the NCAA said is the reason that they gave the, the postseason back to begin with it is a complete farce because at this point like if you still have a vocal contingent of your University, your current students. Um, we didn't even see Paterno coach. Yeah, like your current students are calling for are calling for Paterno to be like, like nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, and, and as a result, it, it shows that you know yes, these people 
seem to be a, a, a lunatic fringe, but when you see the, the footage from the pep rally, that doesn't look like a lunatic fringe. That looks like the general populace that's going to be rooting for your team on a week-to-week basis. And if they're still willing to defend Paterno, then literally nothing has changed on, on, on State College's campus. Yeah, and it was kind of funny that I think it was last week there was a thing I, I was reading on Deadspin about how the university had basically put out a, a message to the alumni and to fans basically saying, like, like enough, stop with the whole, like, we're being screwed over and, like, attacking the NCAA and Joe Paterno. Like, even the university was, like, recognizing this was – it was to get just enough already. And then this happens, and then, you know, it's, like, free reign. And I think what what sucks about the Penn State story is that it's not like – you know, like at the end of the day, the NCAA, it shouldn't have been up to the NCAA to begin with to to do all this stuff, like to make all these things. Like someone else, like some law, some like just someone should have stepped in and said, you know, this is what, you know, someone at Penn State or someone in Pennsylvania's government, you know, or, or whatever. Like someone should have stepped in who has like actual authority in the world and said, like, these are the sanctions. We're really going to... Um, trim everything back and do that. But, of course, they didn't. And then it's like, then we're in this weird position where we have to kind of, like, stand behind the NCAA, where, you know, with their uh, sanctions. And then we're pissed off at the NCAA when they don't hold up their sanctions, even though, like, and it's just like this, this circle that just goes around and around. And it's like, nobody looks good, nobody wins, and, you know, I guess except Penn State fans. And, uh yeah, it's just weird and um, and creepy. I just feel like it's been a creepy uh, couple weeks for um, students on campus, and, like having no perspective. Uh, and I, and, you know, between the whole Save Cuse thing and now this, you know, eighteen-year-olds cheering for Joe Paterno statues when they have like no sense of what that even means. And I don't know. It, it's just a weird. Time. I think what, what's what's you know as much as it, there's been so many crappy stories, just the reaction around it has has what's really been crappy. I think. Yeah, it was. I don't know. It, I was ready to be over the Penn State thing when I found when when the news came out that not over the the whole situation, but over the the fact they were getting the the ban lifted, um, because. Yeah, the, the kids who went there weren't a part of it, although people seem to totally forget that the NCAA set it up so legitimately any kid on that program could have left stop-free, and many did, and some chose to stay knowing full well that there was going to be a ban till 2016, 2017, whenever it was supposed to be up originally. So that's fine. Playing in a bowl game is not that big a deal in the world, so you want to let the, the, the players go to the bowl game, that's fine, but seeing all those kids celebrating – and it just seemed like none of them stopped to think about why the situation happened in the first place. And that was the really just depressing part of it. Um, and I wrote a, a really harsh piece on, on, on our site back when the first riots happened, and I was so tempted to send that out again, um, and I didn't ultimately on Twitter, but it just, like, nothing, it, it looked exactly the same as it did in 2011. And it just... Again, like the whole reason, like John said, for these sanctions in the first place was to try to to make to, to give some perspective. Whether or not it was, it obviously didn't work, but um, 
football was just so not the biggest I, the biggest thing with the Sandusky, Sandusky scandal, and the fact that people just immediately gravitated back to going and trying to storm the stadium and climbing on top of vans and and whatnot. It just just really disheartening to me because if if they had done their their bands back, I expected there'd be some kind of celebration, but if it was just some kids, you know, cheering or whatever, that would have been fine. But it, it was almost identical to, to what happened three years ago, and it just seems like we're back at square zero and, you know, not too thrilled about that. Well, to me, yeah, it just seems that we, again, if the NCAA hadn't said what they said yesterday about the institutional changes and the cultural change, and then to see it, again, like you said, then literally repeat itself, um, it's frustrating, and and it doesn't seem like anyone really grasps the fact that the NCAA is a clown institution to begin with. And then when you you compare the reaction here, saying, "Oh, well, you exhibited these things, so now you're getting off scot free," despite the fact that what you did was more heinous than USC players taking money, than Miami players taking money, like Ohio State missed the chance of national championship for tattoos, right? Like. When you look at it perspective-wise, like what happened at Penn State was so much worse from a from a human standpoint, and yet the NCAA proved it's probably most uselessness um, in this move by by basically condoning it and saying, "Oh yeah, we're tired of losing money. We kind of need the Big Ten to be good so we can make more." So here it is, like Penn State, you're, you're available now after your. You reached out a win over over Akron. Congratulations! And and people were arguing that the like people were arguing that it's all new people at Penn State now. But all those coaches at the other standals left. Like they were all gone. Uh, Tressel got, got ousted at Ohio State, so it wasn't him that, that. I mean, he's serving a show cause, but he wasn't the coach at Ohio State who missed. Uh, you know, who went undefeated and didn't get to go to the championship. It was Urban Meyer. At, at, at USC, Lane Kiffin was the one there for what was largely Pete Carroll's uh, problem. So it's just that's never been an issue for the NCAA. It's not like, oh, if you just change your coach, it's fine. That's never been the idea. So the fact that James Franklin literally just got gifted, like that situation just got so much better for him. The bowl is one thing, but the scholarships are getting uh, – he's getting full scholarships next year. Like, And he's already and, – and, even if you thought that the, the the Penn State would have been starred as a name, they've recruited better since the scandal happened. They're, they have a top five class for next year, so clearly, like nothing, Penn State came out of this pretty much. Well, you know, they got they hired two straight really good coaches. Their recruiting's been great. Uh, people look at them like a sympathy story as a team. Whether or not that's right, you know, that's a different argument. But like they've come out fairly stop free, aside from the people who absolutely should have been fired were fired. So I don't know. It, it, it's it's not great. I'm not a. I can I can understand the argument that the kids were being punished for something other people did, but that's always been how these NCAA punishments go. And the kids who signed up to play there knew they had a choice not to. I think it kind of speaks to a, a larger issue too, like you were saying about um, how the you know. The NCAA punishes you for free tattoos way more than it does for basically covering up a child abuse scandal. 
and then you know you throw in the NFL punishing you more for smoking weed than for punching a woman in the face so hard she's unconscious. And so it's like I, I think it I think there's like a real there's like a bigger thing going on here where sports in general and and I think this is what I was trying to get to with the thing I wrote today was how um for so long we we've just we do so much where we we separate sports and we we put people who are in sports in this different bracket like they're different from the rest of us and they the the rules are different for them and they you know they have to do certain things a certain way even though you would never ask that of yourself or anyone around you and then so like now we're being forced to confront these issues where it's like uh you know these horrible issues that used to unfortunately get swept under the rug and nobody really knew about it plus plus we're kind of changing as a society you know i i think also unfortunately something like what ray rice did uh or even what jerry sandusky did might not have had the the impact uh, that uh it does now you know 20 30 years ago and so all of that stuff is converging, and I think we're realizing just how ineffective and short-sighted we are about the way we think about what's important in sports. Like, what's more important, that we punish guys for smoking marijuana or that we, like, make sure that we don't have anybody in the league who uh, abuses women? Like, you know, and then in the NCAA, what's more important, that we punish these kids who don't have any money for taking a, a freebie that doesn't hurt anybody or for punishing a university for covering up this awful crime. And so it, it's, it just seems like a real big issue that we're only just starting to confront altogether. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be messy for a while. And unfortunately, I, th I think we just kind of have to get people who are just so used to to it being business as usual, like Roger Goodell and um, the people in charge of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, and all those guys, they're used to a certain way of doing business where you, it's it's you know you just put your head down and you you get your PR team to sweep everything under the rug, and we just need more like people who are part of this new new world, I guess, in in a weird way, um, who will actually step up and be like, you know what, who cares if kids get you know, get you know, get ten, uh, uh, somebody buys them a meal for ten bucks at Chipotle. You know, like, let's worry about the stuff that actually matters. And and so, um, yeah, I think it may just still still be a while before we get there, but at least we're aware of it now. And I think we're we'll we'll start to get there as we see a new a new group of people kind of step up to leadership and and you know the ones who are kind of growing up and, and seeing what happens when you when you deal with this stuff the wrong way. I mean, that's a very good point. And I think, you know, it's going to be interesting as we continue. I think social media plays a huge part in all this. Um, I saw a tweet yesterday that said, you know, Ray Rice wasn't suspended indefinitely, and, and wasn't released because the NFL saw this tape. It's because we, uh, the people, saw this tape. And, and that's a very interesting take, but it, it, it's not it's not incorrect, and it, it, it's downright disturbing, to be honest. But we now live in a society where, where the people who, like, you start to think about how many times these things did happen before social media, 
and, and then just went completely covered up and completely glossed over because there was no social media to call them out because there was no, you know, 24-7 news cycle to call them out. And it's amazing now that, you know, they're the only reason a lot of people are issuing issuing apologies and things are getting found out and and, and things like this are coming to light is because we have the, the, the cycle and the society we do. And, and I, I guess to me that that might be the most disturbing part is that if you really want to start thinking back um, to prior years, just how much this might have happened before um, before we got this information age. That's absolutely right, and it just it, it reeks of of cowardice at the um, at the part of the NCAA and the NFL and the the higher ups there, just because it's it just seems so much easier for them to deal with very minute issues, and then they these two examples obviously. Um, the Sandusky thing is at a whole different level, uh, as bad as the Rice thing is. But two really big deals, and they just both flubbed so bad. Um, a, in actually doing the right thing right off the bat, and then the NCAA, just finding any kind of consistency or, or no having any idea how to handle that, that whole issue. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully, I've never, I've never agreed more with, with the whole, like, the Bill Simmons, uh, we need, like, a sports czar thing. Like I almost wish we just had one guy who had had logic and reason and was just like, "All right, this is an awful issue that has to do with sports. Here we go. Let's figure this out like real humans, unlike brand equity people like Roger Goodell, who just sees whatever the best is for the shield and ignores the fact that hey, this video, which there's no way they didn't see, is going to come out because it's 2014. Um, so I don't know. It's been a very disheartening week for people who have to spend a lot of time with sports. I've no, I, there, are, there are very few weeks where I've wanted less to do with sports than this week. Yeah, I'm with you. And so on that note, um, oh, this is weird. Before we wrap up, um, New York Times just tweeted something uh, interesting. TMZ broke the Ray Wright, Donald Sterling, and Jameis Winston stories in a 10-month span. So for those who are discounting uh, TMZ's value uh, from a reporting standpoint, um, as much as I don't like the show that accompanies it and, and the overall uh, maybe paparazzi culture, um, I actually believe that TMZ is doing a very nice job in the reporting front, especially when it comes to sports. Um, and, and it is it's definitely interesting to see that um, if we're going to look past the issues, and again, it's not to brush the money to the rug, but to look past the issues and see some other narratives that are going on, and that is one that um, TMZ is very much in the last few years gone from, you know, tabloid rag of the Internet, uh, equivalent to maybe Perez Hilton, to something that's become a legitimate news source. And and I think, you know, it speaks to how the Internet's changed overall. I mean, you look, Deadspin is probably one of the, you know, top five um if not top three uh, news-generating sources when it comes to sports. Um, but, yeah, TMZ has suddenly uh, turned itself into a legitimate news source in, in recent uh, months in the last year or so. And, you know, I was myself in PR. It's funny that people still, like, deride the publication. And to me, it, I think that's foolish when, when you look at the actual good it does and the actual, like, reporting that it does. 
it's, it's almost as if they need themselves a, uh, a kind of brand makeover for, for us to fully grasp, you know, just how important they've become in the uh, in the new cycle ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I wish it was more, you know, New York Times was breaking this or Yahoo Sports or, and it makes me wonder why. What is it that TMZ does that all these other guys who you would think would just be like dying to get their hands on this video? this whole time what is it about tmz that gets it done and i don't know and yeah i mean it's i don't like tmz i don't like 95 percent of the things they do um and i kind of wish they would just focus on like i because in a way in a way they're almost kind of like you know how when something bad happens and then reddit is like all right we're going to solve it and then they do a horrible job um like just finding the wrong people and all that stuff like tmz i i you know when 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 they do their work for good they're like the good version of that like they actually dig into the thing that nobody else does or that the people who would be hurt by it try to cover up and so that it it is good to have somebody like that i just wish that was the focus of their efforts you know it's it's hard to cuz tomorrow i'm sure they'll put up a video of you know something about the kardashians and that'll be their big thing and it's like well you know why i get it i get why you do that stuff but um so yeah i mean i guess i guess it is like that you know you can hate them but you do have to appreciate that at least really digging in and finding this stuff and holding people accountable for good for some sometimes yeah cuz i don't know if anyone else would have done it they probably they might just be that they're more willing to get get into the dirt with these types of things but like, would we have ever seen this video? Because it certainly didn't seem like the NFL was all that interested in having it come out. And for whatever reason, the other journalists, uh, journalism uh, ugh, papers and whatnot, uh, just didn't seem to have it. Like, we didn't know this was coming out at all until yesterday. Like, people probably assumed there was a video because it was a casino elevator and there's video tapes everywhere, cameras everywhere. But it wasn't like, aside from a very... Uh, uh, a Peter King thing from July 29th, like not anyone really talked about uh, a video being out there. And that was not anything anyone paid attention to until afterwards, the Peter King tidbit. So I don't know. I, I again, like, like you guys, I would rather it come from someone that was less uh, annoying as a, as a source, but at least someone's doing it. It is, you know, in retrospect, it's like, you know, I, I'm thinking about like every cop show and every cop movie I've ever watched. And they always go to the place, and they're like, "You got cameras there," and they and they go and they they check it out, and uh, I'm like, and it just made me realize, like, number one, how did, like, uh, wasn't everybody like, "Yeah, show me the camera in the elevator," because number one, you're a hotel, number two, you're a casino, so we know you have cameras everywhere. They have I a mean, camera right outside the elevator. It sounds like they're wearing yeah. cameras in the general. I mean, they got every shot you wanted except for the one right inside. Obviously, they had that. Yeah, I mean this is and even if it wasn't a casino, they probably have a camera in their in their elevator. I mean every all these places do. So it's kind of crazy that when you think about it that that everybody just kind of forgot about it to begin with. It's it's kind of weird that nobody was like, "Hey, we're pretty sure there has to be a camera in there. What happened to that?" And then number 2, in retrospect, how did the NFL think they were going to get away with um this never coming up? I, I that's what I find the most tr- like that's when, you know, obviously 
the NFL is covering their ass right now and, and saying they never saw it and, um, you know, and all that stuff. But it just seems so unlikely and just weird that they or the – they and the media would just be like, oh, we can't get the video in the elevator? Okay, anyway, we'll move on. It just seems so weird. And uh, I don't know. We'll probably never get a straight answer on that. But, uh, yeah, I guess thank you, TMZ. Words we thought we'd never say. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess it's a good place to wrap. Um, I know we, we definitely got into some CMU and Syracuse. I know we got plenty more uh, to come on the site for the rest of the week. Um, I know we have... Obviously, our roundtable, plenty of preview stuff from the entire staff, um, and even a uh, special guest Q&A with uh, CMU's rep over on the Hustle Belt, um, SB Nation's Max site. But yeah, plenty coming at you, Syracuse fans. Um, I want to thank Sean and Dan for coming on today. As always, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to chat about Syracuse and, and things not related to Syracuse for upwards of an hour. May we please have something nice to talk about next week. <laughs> yeah, a, a non... A, a win at CMU without a lot of drama and without our quarterback getting tossed out would be perfect. I'd be very happy with that. And also, no, no, as I tweeted last night, if you're a Syracuse student or athlete, just stop doing everything. Just stop doing anything. Stop <laughs> doing it. You have not done anything well last two weeks. <laughs> Drop your phone. Just class. You can go to class. Yeah. <laughs> or don't go to class. I don't care. But just stop doing things on the Internet. It, it hasn't worked out. Here, here. Um, all right. So I guess we'll end it there. Um, I'm John. That was Dan and Sean. Uh, you've been listening to Troy News, an absolute podcast sponsored by Audible.com. Uh we have a game against Central Michigan this weekend, so for those in the Syracuse area, um, if you're making the trip, safe drive over. For those in the Michigan area, please show up. Um, we do a nice job of showing up on the road. I think we've impressed our ACC brethren to this point. So any presence we can have on the road is appreciated. Um, and if you can, please check out the podcast on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Rate us, comment. Um, you would not believe... Uh, just how much all that does for us. Um, so again, appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. 
Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.